Hello and welcome back to the Primary Education Voices podcast, the podcast dedicated to the exciting world of primary education with me, your host, Matt Roberts. If you are a member of staff in primary education, then this podcast is for you. Each episode, we'll be interviewing a special guest who works in a primary setting and be finding out what inspires them. We'll also be asking them for their top tips, resources and philosophies that they are passionate about in this wonderful profession. And of course, share some of the funny and inspirational stories along the way. Uh, Today, we sat down with uh, Ben Levinson. Ben Levinson was uh, recommended to us uh, by Dave McPartland on his episode, which was way back in episode uh, 14. And I'm so glad that we're finally able to get around and speak with Ben Levinson, OBE, of course, uh, a great honour that he that he was able to receive recently. Um, ben works as a head teacher. Uh, his, his school is currently the primary school of the year and also is the 2020 TES Wellbeing and Mental Health winner of the uh, for, for his school as well. Uh, and he is uh, clearly an inspirational and and a uh, very compassionate and, and considerate leader as well. One who thinks about his staff uh, and the children that his school serves and the community that his school serves as well. It was really a brilliant uh, hour I was able to sit down with Ben and record this episode. And so um, I hope you enjoy it. There were some great uh, things that he shares in his primary three. Uh, and he clearly is uh, aware of uh, many of the current uh, issues and trends in primary education and is working hard to make it a much more positive and supporting uh support or supportive uh place to be so hope you enjoy sit back relax and enjoy the great uh, chat we had uh, with ben levinson hello and welcome to the podcast ben levinson how are you doing today ben uh, yeah, I'm good, thank you. It's uh, it's not the nicest day outside, but uh, yeah, no, I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, we're definitely reaching those uh, autumn months now, so uh, we're getting darker t- darker days and uh, wetter days as well. But we're here today, and I'm so grateful you've, uh, you're here to bring us a bit of sunshine to the podcast, Ben. Thank you. Uh, so first of all, we'll start with your quick five questions. Uh, as regular listeners know, we, these questions are just to get a bit of background about you, a bit of the context, uh, what you're interested in. And so first of all, Ben, so people know where to find you, what is your Twitter handle? Uh, at Mr. Lev. Fantastic. Nice and straightforward, which is great. And how many years have you been in primary education, Ben? Uh, 12 years now. 12 years. Fantastic. Yeah. And uh, in those 12 years, what has been your primary journey so far? So roles, responsibilities that you've had during those 12 years? Yeah, so I started out on the uh, on the graduate training programme, the GTP, uh, at a school called Oakthorpe Primary, which is in Enfield. And then I, uh, after doing that, I, I um, did my NQT year, NQT plus one year there. Um, and then I moved to a school in Hackney called Sir Thomas Abney where I was the math subject lead as, as well as teaching year five. And then I saw a job at Kensington Primary School, uh, which is in Newham in East London for a deputy head position. And so I applied for that. Uh, and that was kind of uh, uh, sort of fairly fortuitous, I guess, given everything that's come since. Mm. Uh, but yes, I mean, at the time I didn't feel it between my uh, interview uh, and, and being offered the job and starting the job, Ofsted came and the school went from good to requires improvement. Uh, so on my 11th day in post, we had our first monitoring visit from the HMI. At the end of my first term, the head teacher at the time left. 
so yeah, it was a it was a baptism of fire. It was fair to say. And then I went through a whole, you know, acting head of school, head of school, acting head teacher, and then uh, eventually head teacher of Kensington. And that's where I've been for the last six and a half years now. Excellent, fantastic. Sounds like a definitely a, a jump into the deep end there, but uh, that sounds fantastic. And I'm sure we'll talk about some of the great things that you've learned along the way there, which is brilliant. Um, what's your favourite subject and why, Ben? Um, well, like I say, I love maths uh, and I do love maths. I've got a history degree, uh, and so that's obviously a bit of a, a bit of a passion. But I think the, the, the for me, and, and what we've built so much of what we've done at Kensington around is is physical, what we what we call physical health, uh, and and that I think is such an important part of our children's education. So crucial for them to be physically fit, to be physically healthy, because without that, it's so hard for them to be able to actually learn anything else. Um, so yeah, I think physical health is is definitely a passion of mine mm, yeah absolutely uh, just a word on that actually physical health like you find and i found when i've been in other, other schools that when there's like a real drive behind that physical health and that just that well-being with their physical side the children just are so much settled and so much more happier in their learning aren't they and so it makes such a big difference that's a really good point um in your education ben did you have a favorite teacher and and who was that um yeah, I think, I mean, some of my secondary teachers, uh, Mr. Dalton, uh, Mr. Alcorn, um, stand out, I think, and, and, and were definitely part of the reason why I ended up going on to university and studying history. Um, obviously, I remember some of my early um, uh, primary school teachers as well, uh, Mrs. Knight, uh, and Mr. Buxton, who taught me in, well, year four juniors at the time, uh, what, is, what is now year six. Um, but yeah, I think lots of, you know, lots of people kind of uh, impact on you in different ways, don't they? And, and leave their mark, which is one of the wonderful things about being able to do this job every day. Mm, absolutely. That's fantastic. And uh, if you had to, or if you already do, what after school club would you run? Um, well, uh, I, I suppose physical health, right? I did, I did run a rugby club. I don't run a, an after school club at the moment. Uh, we run as a school about 40 a week free of charge for our families but um but i don't run one but um but yeah i used to run a rugby club when i was starting out and, and really enjoyed that and i played quite a lot of rugby when i was younger excellent so a very active uh, active person then out there on the rugby field <laughs> Try, trying to be yeah like all of us i mean you know as i as i kind of get into my mid 40s obviously that becomes uh uh, more difficult but I, I was out for a run this morning so uh, yeah, it's uh, certainly something I tried to do and something I think really helps mm. you know it's such a it's such a fast-paced job there's a lot of stress there's a lot of pressure at times mm. and I think being able to you know for me being physically active is such an important part of managing all of that and my own well-being of course and actually for any any listeners as well if you're not into rugby it could be actual any physical exercise or activity as long as you're doing something i think that it just helps with that well-being in that mindset having that physical activity i think that's that's fantastic um so thank you very much for those those are your quick fire questions done so you've done really well with those um we'll move on to kind of the more the more planned questions here so to begin with um ben is what inspired you in the first place to get involved in primary education uh i, I you know, it's it's such a cliche, isn't it? But I, but I genuinely did want to make a difference. Um, I, I kind of, like I say, I, I studied history at university. 
I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I'd I'd been always, you know, I'd, I'd always liked school. I'd been reasonably academic, um, and that was all great. But then all of a sudden, my my path wasn't mapped out, and 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 I just didn't know where I wanted to go next with it. And so I fell into a job, uh, a company, um, an IT company, um, and, and and sort of ended up doing marketing for them. Uh, and when travelled the world with them and ended up living in the Netherlands in Eindhoven for a couple of years, which was all wonderful. But, you know, it just didn't really, it didn't really spark that fire. And so I kind of started searching around and I ended up at a, a, an environmental charity called Groundwork uh, that you might have heard of. But they do lots of sort of environmental improvement projects, lots of work with schools as well, actually. And that was better because I was doing something more worthwhile, mm. but I was still sat at a computer behind a desk every day. I still didn't really see a lot of that. And so I was then thinking, well, so what do I want to do? Uh, and my partner at the time, now my wife, uh, is a teacher. Uh, my mum was a teacher. Uh, my now wife's mum uh, was a head teacher. So, uh, you know, there, there was definitely a bit of a kind of, oh, yeah, well, that looks like it might be interesting. And I, I, I went and spent a couple of days in schools and I just loved it. I just, the energy, the, you know, the, the, the passion, the drive, the excitement, every day was different. It was hands-on. You were there and you were seeing the difference you were making. Yeah, every day you were going in and you were seeing these children and and you were changing their lives right there in front of you and it was yeah that was yeah never looked back from that point i love that and it's such an important point i think sometimes when you kind of go in from day to day in the profession that you sometimes miss that 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 vision of just the impacts that you're having i mean i was just thinking just i actually met one of my previous students in my first in my second year uh, they've now grown up and now that's just started college and it was so bizarre to see this six foot year old six foot lad just like i said mr roberts and i was like whoa <laughs> uh, but actually when you sit and think about it you know seven or seven or so years now into primary education just the hundreds of people that, that i've been able to have an impact on and reach into their lives and, and change and as those years go on and as you kind of go to different schools that influence you have and that impact and that difference you make like you say is so so important um, why, why do you think um, then primary was kind of the choice for you rather than secondary, perhaps? Yeah, and, and I did toy between the two. And, and I think, um, I suppose two things, really, if, if, if I'm entirely honest, one less exciting than the other. And, and that was that um, I just didn't, it didn't kind of, it didn't fill me with the same passion and drive to be teaching history every day. Mm. Yeah, I, I really liked the idea and, and I am, a bit of a pluralist like you know i do you know i enjoy teaching you know, pretty much all of those subjects i mean you know we all have the one don't we i'm no artist uh, <laughs> but, I, but i did love art and i do love art. so you know i still had a passion even if it's not the the thing that i, I that comes most naturally to me so you know, that's the more boring answer but but the, but i suppose that the main reason really was because i felt like as a as a primary teacher you had still had every opportunity to really make the difference to that child. Now, don't get me wrong, you know, people working in secondary do an incredible job and, and, and work absolute wonders with young people. But the fact is, by the time those children get to you at 11, 12, 13, it is so much harder to then really change that path. 
you can it's it's possible but it's so much more difficult a child at five six seven i was talking to my deputy head yesterday about a child in in our school you know who who you know we have some concerns about we we can still we still have every chance there is still every chance for us to really make that difference for that child and and by the time they leave us in year six for them to be on that right path Mm. um and that's a real passion and it's also a real frustration because i you know i talk to companies i talk to universities and so much of what they do is targeted at children in in years 10 11 and, and i say to them but it's too late mm. you know if, if a child's going to go to cambridge or oxford oxford that, you know that that's already done by the time they're in year 10 or 11 either they are on that path or they're not you might tweak one or two you might nudge one or two on the board and but you come in and talk to our and inspire our year ones and year twos, you know, that then you can really make a difference. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's one of one of many missions that I'm on. That's fantastic. And again, such brilliant wise words there about again how in primary education there is this this great opportunity to really have this impact and to direct and guide these wonderful young people uh, to become lifelong learners before they before they leave the doors of that primary school and move on with their lives. That's fantastic. Um, in primary education, obviously, you know, they're, they're, it's a wonderful place. Children are so happy and they can bring us so many great laughs. And of course, we have some funny stories that happen with, either with the, teach, or with the children, with our colleagues. And so what's one of the funniest stories you can share from your time in primary education, Ben? Um, so I was thinking about this, and, I, and as always, and as, as I'm sure with many of your guests, there are certainly some stories that I'm not sure I can share necessarily. Yeah. They're a bit too close to the bone. <laughs> um, I mean, you, you know, I think last November we were incredibly fortunate, uh, myself and um, uh, one of my colleagues, Sufia, to uh, be invited along to go on to the BBC One show uh, as part of the Pearson Teaching Awards. And so we, we turned up and, and Pearson had kind of, it was all smoke and mirrors, you know, oh, you might be on, you might not be on. We don't know if you've won. We were, we were in for primary school of the year. And so we went along and it was middle of COVID, you know, hadn't really gone or done anything. We got temperature scanned on the way in. The BBC was empty. There was nobody there. Uh, and we're, we're sat there and uh, they're like, oh, you know, we're really sorry. We haven't got HNMU today. You know, private working H and M hair and makeup. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's okay. Don't worry about that. We start. Alfie Bow walks up and uh, starts chatting to us. And uh, oh, you know what? You, what you're here for? And I'm like, oh God, it's Alfie Bow. Oh yeah, yeah. Primary school of the year. And uh, and Sophia turns to him and goes, Are you on the show this evening? And he's like, Yeah, yeah, I'm on the show. <laughs> anyway, so there's all of this going on, and they get us there and. We're sat on this sofa and they're like, um, they said, oh, you know, we, we might give you a call in a minute. Anyway, next thing you know, this voice comes through. Uh, ben, Sufia, it's Alex Jones. You're live on The One Show. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, you know, it was an incredible experience. You know, we're obviously primary school of the year uh, for this year and, uh, you know, that was a, a once in a lifetime, just totally mad kind of experience, to- totally mad in any circumstances, but mid COVID, yeah. just this crazy experience. But yeah, I've had to do this. They showed the film that they'd made. They came and did this interview with us about the school. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, never forget that. 
Wow, so, yeah, that was uh, yeah, an amazing, amazing time. That's brilliant. I, I just, I don't know what I would have thought in that moment where you just told you're live. <laughs> it's like national television. You're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, if, if you watch it back, my voice goes extremely high pitched, <laughs> <laughs> very, very briefly <laughs> before I compose myself. Amazing. Well, I'm, I'm sure we can try and find that clip, and we'll put that on our website. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> Uh, oh, like I say, I'm amazing. Uh, well, let's move on then. And obviously, you know, the great work that you've done has obviously been been recognised uh, in many places and in many in many areas. And I think that with the primary theme that you've chosen, I love that you've picked three philosophies uh, that you want to share with us that are kind of your three main things about primary education that for you are really important. And for any new listeners listening, we are going to moving on to the primary three section, which is where our listeners picked three things about primary education that they think are really important. So it could be philosophies, it could be advice, it could be any resources that they think are really important. Just it's nice and open for everyone. But you've picked three philosophies, which I think are really powerful. And I can't wait to have a good discussion with you about those now. So we'll move on to that and we'll talk about the first uh, of your primary three, which is Pareto's Law. So do you want to talk to us, Ben, first of all, a bit about what what it is? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Pareto's Law states that uh, um, 20% of, uh, of your inputs of what you do uh, leads to 80% of the outputs. Um, and and you know, this is applicable across anything so uh, it could be something like um uh, uh, you know 20% of the carpet is, is what you walk on 80% of the time uh, but but equally it can apply to to the effort that you put into something um and one of the very first things when i got to kensington that we started to look at was around workload um i'd just come out of the classroom i'd been leading maths as well and and i was so um so aware of how much of an ask there is on primary teachers and i was i was determined to do something about it i was determined to make a difference because i just felt that it was not only unsustainable but that it was counterproductive it ultimately it led to a worse quality of education for the children which just seemed um so counterintuitive to me um, and so we started to look at uh, workload and, and one of the things we looked at was Pareto's law. And we worked to try and identify what was the 20% that we were doing as teachers that made 80% of the difference to children's learning. Um, and so when we started with that, we looked at some of the available research, the, the John Hattie research had, had just recently come out at the time. Uh, obviously, the Education Endowment Foundation Toolkit is, is a wonderful resource. Uh, and we, we looked at some of that research and, and started to boil down what was that 20%. Uh, that was great in the first instance, but actually over time, what's been even more powerful is, yes, of course, drawing on the research. And I, and I do think research is, is, is an incredibly important part of what we do in education. However, I would just take this moment to sound a cautionary note that I do feel we have become a little over obsessed with research because you know, ultimately learning is incredibly complex. Mm. In fact, we don't really even have an agreed definition for learning. Uh, Ofsted at the moment talk about this change in long-term memory, but that is highly contentious amongst a lot of people as to whether that 
is what learning is, or certainly solely what learning is. So yes, research can be a wonderful starting point, but I think we are in real danger as uh, uh, as um, you know as a, a, a system of relying solely mm. on research. And so actually, that became much more powerful once we took the research, but also started to drill into that on a personal level. Because actually, Matt, I would imagine you are probably quite a different teacher to me. Mm. Yeah. Um, now, I've got nearly 30 teachers at Kensington. Some of them are similar in some ways. Some of them are very, very different. And so saying this is your 20% and that applies to all of you is ludicrous. Mm. Of course, that's not the case. Mm. There are some common themes Obviously, things like assessment for learning are generally going to make up the 20% for most people, if not all people. But once you get into some of the detail, once you get into some of the nuance, what your 20% is can be wildly different. And so we spent a lot of time on that. We've come back to that again time and again. We came back to it again this year to you know, really think about what is it? Where do we need to focus our time? Because actually... We only have limited time. We only have limited energy. Uh, teachers in my school do not uh, work all through their weekends. They do not work late into the evenings. They are not there from the crack of dawn. They work hard. They do an incredible job, but it's sustainable. And, and it also is meaning that they turn up on a Monday morning, on a morning, on a Wednesday in a cold, wet November, uh, with energy, with drive, uh, and that's what's going to make some of the difference. That's part of the 20% for most people, uh, turning up full of energy, full of passion, full of excitement. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that, that's been a really important part of our journey. Obviously, we've applied it to other areas. We've applied it to our leadership um, on what's going to make the greatest difference for us as leaders. And that varies over time. But what that is, what that was last year, obviously during the pandemic, is, is different to what that is now. What that is at this point in Kensington's journey is different to what it was five years ago. Um, but I think it can be a really powerful concept to, to, to sort of uh, help you identify those things that you are going to do that are going to make the greatest difference. And therefore, those things that you need to spend the vast majority of your time and energy on. And then you know what? The other 80%, if you get to it, great. If you don't, you are still going to make a massive difference to those children's learning. Mm. My worry is that so much of the time, teachers spend so much of their time and energy on things that ultimately make a very minimal difference to children's learning because of the culture of the school because of the fear about Ofsted and, and what Ofsted might want or, or whatever it might be um, and therefore by the time they get to the stuff that really matters they're already burnt out they're already exhausted and, and they can't give that time to that bit that makes the greatest difference
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listeners can't see the podcast. It's a, it's an audio platform. If they could, they'd see me nodding my head along with absolutely everything you said there, which, I mean, there's so many things to pick out there, kind of the words on research and how educational research is so important, but we have a danger of being over-obsessed with it, and we need to look at the context where we are and how that research fits in with where we are. I think that's such an important point to make. Uh, but yeah, this, this 20%, like you say, we are all different. So, you know, I'm a big believer as well that, you know, a teacher in one classroom and the teacher in the next classroom, they're going to teach in different ways because they are different people. But that, finding that 20% for that person is the key. And you mentioned that for you, that there's probably some things that may be the same for all, like assessment for learning. Just to try and tease this out a bit more, is there any other kind of uh, t things that you feel uh, that you've seen that, you know, um, would be good for the 20% for teachers to focus on rather than the 80 other percent of things that perhaps they get lost with? Yeah, I, I, it's a dangerous one, given what I've just said, isn't it? Yeah. And, I, and I think that, you know, I think that autonomy is is so crucial. And, and our teachers, uh, you know, we make sure they have absolute uh, autonomy. Uh, in fact, we're even in, in in lower key stage two this year. We're trialing. So we, we've gone to very flexible kind of timetables so that teachers can, and very flexible planning so that teachers can make decisions about what their children need when they need it rather than following any kind of very strict approaches obviously we have structures in place that help with that and support with that um that ensure that children are still getting what they need from from our curriculum but there is a huge amount of freedom in that yeah. in lower key stage two actually this year we're trialing no timetable at all uh, so that the teachers have complete flexibility in deciding what they are going to teach and when they are going to teach it based on what they are seeing in front of them. Mm. Um, anyway, sorry, I digress, but, <laughs> but, you know, that autonomy is important. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, I think that um, yeah, some of those areas really thinking about that pitch, uh, really thinking about, you know, how you're going to ensure that uh, all children can access the learning that all children are appropriately challenged, I would say is often really important. Uh, those relationships and interactions uh, with the children are, are such a crucial part of, of what teachers do. And we try to provide the time and space so that teachers can properly build those relationships with their children. Um, you know, that, that AFL in its broadest sense, you know, the, the feedback to children in the moment, the uh, adaptation of learning within a lesson, the adaptation of learning over time and the reflection on what we're going to do tomorrow, where we're going next week. You know, those things, I think, are absolutely crucial. You know, there, there are lots of bits, but, but I think you very quickly go down a route of what my bits are. Mm, yeah. um, you know, personally, I don't think that displays and environment massively impacts on children's learning. Um, don't get me wrong, everything impacts on children's learning. So do they impact? Yes. Mm. Do I think they make a massive difference? No. Mm. But I tell you now, there is a teacher out there who uses their environment in an incredibly effective way that can really make the difference for those children in their classrooms. Yeah. Um, it's not me, mm. and I've I've not necessarily seen it, but I'm sure there probably is someone out there. So, yeah, those are some of the mine. But I, yeah, I think it's it's about being reflective. It's about being 
genuine and honest with yourself and really thinking about what is making the difference for these kids that's perfect thank you so much for for, for being willing to answer that question because i know from the discussion you said before you know it really does matter on the teach what those 20 percent are but like you say actually i think probably part of that 20 percent is like you say being that reflective teacher and knowing who you are as a teacher as well uh, we've had a discussion. In fact, in fact it was uh, David Parlin who who recommended you onto this podcast, who spoke about uh, kind of knowing who you are as inside as a teacher. Uh, and I think that, like you say, part of that as well. But the things you said there about knowing how to pitch carefully with the children in front of you, those relationships and uh, the assessment for learning, obviously not giving specifics there on how you do those things, because you will be a different person with different children in the classroom. And actually, I know that as a teacher, you know, I t- I've taught one class different to I've taught another class because of the children in that class. Uh, and so, you know, I think that that's, those are some really good, uh, great points there. So thank you very much for that, Ben. Appreciate that. Uh, we'll move on then uh, to, the, to the second of your primary three. Uh, I think Pareto is always a great thing. And if people want to have a look, uh, we'll try and put some links on our website as we get. We're going through our backlog of episodes just to kind of send people to some links to, ha- to have a bit of a look at that, because I think that'd be really good. Um, but the second of our primary three that we're going to discuss now in this episode is if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. So for you, Ben, why is that one of your primary three? So um, I'm going to say it's another passion. I mean, you, you can probably tell I'm fairly passionate about all of this, which, uh, which yeah, but it is another passion. Uh, and I think not just in education, in, in my career prior to education, I so often uh, saw things that were happening. Uh, because of that, because that's what we've always done. Mm. Um, now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes that's a really good reason to do something, um, but often it's not. And in this world that we live in, that is changing so rapidly, um, you know, I think where that is the only justification, where there hasn't been some significant thought about why is it we are doing this way? Is there not a better way to do this? You are at real risk of falling behind on a, and of you know, ending up becoming um, defunct and obsolete. Uh, I, I would also say that I think in education, we have an additional risk, uh, which is alongside, well, that's because we've always done it that way. It is, well, that's because well, that's what Ofsted want. Uh, and I think that is a huge misnomer. And and I am no apologist for Ofsted. I think there are parts of uh, the way that Ofsted works that are uh, not helpful in terms of what they are trying to achieve, i.e. ensuring the best quality of education in this country. Um, but I am convinced that Ofsted want what we all want, which is the best education for our children. Mm. And so this idea that, and you know, and, and Sean Harford, um, prior to his departure, did a lot of work through his Ofsted myth busting uh, to try to remove some of those ideas about Ofsted want things in a certain way. You know, Ofsted want, as an organisation, for you to be doing your very best for your children and for you to be able to show that, for you to be able to argue that and for you to be able to prove that, which you should, because... You know, it's a very, it's a job with a huge amount of responsibility. So you should absolutely be able to do that. Now, you know, rogue inspectors and all the rest of it and horror stories, absolutely, of course there are. But I think that's a real risk. And so one of the things, again, we started to do at Kensington was step by step, pull apart uh, some of what we did um, and really think about 
is this the best it could be? Is there a better way? That it, why are we doing these things? Well, these are done in schools, every school in the country. Okay, that's wonderful. Why? <laughs> so six and a half years ago, that was formal observations. Uh, you know, well, well, what are we getting from this? Well, I'll tell you what we're getting from this. We're getting some stressed out teachers. We're getting a load of performances. Uh, and we're getting some fairly unhelpful data, uh, information. Okay, great. So we don't do formal observations anymore. So we got rid of formal observations. And we've kind of turned that lens on to most things. Uh, we turned it on to planning. We turned it on to marking. Uh, you know, we turned it on to all areas of the school. Um, and we kind of went through, but I, I'm not, well, I think, you know, there, there was an element of planning that back in the early days when I first, when we first started on the journey, it was about getting the school to a certain point, getting it to, you know, to be a decent school, providing a decent education. And so that was looking at some of the smaller areas, really. Four years ago, we'd got ourselves to a point where we were strong enough to be able to say, okay, the last really big thing that we haven't looked at is the curriculum. Mm -hmm. We've put in place a curriculum, but we hadn't really said, why do we do this curriculum? And when we did, ultimately that opened a whole Pandora's box. You know, because it was all of a sudden this, eye-opening moment of hang on why do we teach these 11 subjects does every country in the world teach these 11 subjects at primary where's the evidence base to say this is what makes for a good start to children's education hang on a second we've got a physical health crisis in this country children are increasingly obese but as a population we are for the first time ever living longer but longer in ill health mm. we've got a mental health crisis in this country prior this is well before anyone had heard of covid you know children are going off to university academically amazing but the numbers dropping out in their first year of university because they can't cope mentally mm. are terrifying mm. we've got businesses saying children are coming to us with the academic qualifications but they're not ready for the world of work mm. the communication skills aren't there the social skills aren't there we've got studies saying that in 20 years time 50 percent of the jobs that exist today won't exist any longer and the more we peeled back the layers of the onion, the more we started to think, hang on a second, is this really the best we can offer to our children? And so ultimately two years of research and two years of talking to anyone and everyone about, look, what, what do our children need? What do they need to start them on the right path for their future, their next step in learning in secondary school, but also the, the opportunities and the challenges that are going to come. Um, and out of that came Curriculum K mm. for Kensington. 
Uh, it's a very clever name. Uh, <laughs> yeah, branding. Out of that, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, out of that came curriculum pay. Um, and, and we've been implementing that over the last uh, two and a half years, obviously, uh, slightly interrupted by uh, what's been going on in the world around us, but uh, we've carried on, we've soldiered on. And curriculum pay is built around four key areas so health, uh, academic, communication, and culture. So we have an entire physical health curriculum that goes all the way through the school. And, uh, you know, we still, as I said at the beginning, I'm a keen sports person. Uh, I'm a, a big Watford fan. I'm hoping once we come off this podcast, I'll find out we're beating Leeds at halftime. Uh, but I played a lot of sport as a youngster and I, I love sport. But actually, when we looked at it, what our children need from us at primary school is to be physically fit and physically literate. Mm. Um, so we did a, a we developed a whole curriculum around that to give them what they need so that they are both able to um, concentrate and focus now in on their learning, but also hopefully that we're putting in place the the foundations for them to be physically fit at 20, at 40, at 60. Uh, we've got an entire emotional health curriculum developed with mental health experts uh, that supports our children's understanding of their emotional health. So it's not about that intervention end. Uh, we've got a lot. We worked place with Place to Be. We worked with Head Start. We worked with lots of different people for those children who need that additional support. But this is for everyone because we are all going to need that. We are all going to have times when we are stressed. We are all going to have times when we are anxious. We are all going to have times when we lack in confidence. And we are all going to come up against challenges in our lives. And so building that emotional health uh, curriculum for our children so they understand their emotions, they understand how to deal with their emotions, they understand where their emotions come from is so important. Uh, the academic curriculum doesn't look hugely different. We've reorganised a lot of it. I mean, you start to pull apart the maths curriculum, the national curriculum, and a lot of it's a bit you know, in a funny order, to be honest, because you're sort of learning about fractions before you know your times table facts and you know the way it's been shoved down mm. um, has led to this sort of slightly odd uh, order of things at times a lot of it's very useful but a lot of it's not the English curriculum as we all know is uh, we believe and as the many far too focused on grammar children should love writing they should be creative they should be excited yes they need a foundation of grammar absolutely but uh, they need to be writers, mm. uh, not just children who understand the grammatical basis for all of it. Um, communication is, as it says, again, with with uh, experts on communication, speech and language therapists and others who, who've developed this whole curriculum of communication and social skills. You know, and this is all timetable. So, you know, this is not additional. This is not add-ons. This is part of the day-to-day -day diet of children at Kensington. Um, and then a culture curriculum that, that gives them the opportunities to access uh, everything that they should be able to access. Live music, live sport, live theatre, art and history and uh, the world around them. We're in London and so many haven't gone past their doorsteps. And so getting them out into that world. Um, and it's early days, but we are starting to see a real impact of that curriculum on our children. Um, and I think it's really exciting. And, and we've sat it alongside our um, 7K, which is our, our strategies for learning, um, because there's been such an explosion in, uh, in neuroscience and in, and in the related pedagogy. And so trying to 
work through some of that, although obviously, you know, talking about research, it's contentious for every person who says that cognitive load theory is absolutely essential. Uh, obviously, I don't know if you saw Guy Klatz's blog the other day, kind of tearing it to pieces. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, I think having an understanding of that and not being too wedded to any one part is probably the most important bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's listening to, to the research, it's listening to that advice and guidance and then seeing where you are and going from there. I mean, I, everything you just said there was, is, I think, a great model because obviously we have many people, who li- many types of people who listen to this podcast. We have school leaders who have that kind of control over curriculum and can look at those curriculums and say, well, why are we teaching this and why are we going this way? And it sounds like, you know, obviously it isn't a very quick fix. You know, it's something that needs to take time and that you need to look at and you need to, to be really insightful and look at the research and, and things like that. And, all the, and also class teachers listen to this. And I think that, that model of looking at something you do in the classroom, a way that you teach something and thinking, why am I doing it this way? Is it because this is, you know, just the way I've done it for the past X years? Does it make a difference? Is there something else that works? Can I find anything? And then trying it out in the classroom, I think is a great model uh, for, for all uh, people in education to just look at and think, um, you know, what can we do slightly differently to get, like you say, those those better results and to get something that, is really going to make a difference because I think everything you just said, and it's not the first time on this podcast series that we've had someone and kind of say, you know, we've got a curriculum and, and we've looked at the national curriculum and actually there is space here to, to just still teach the, the, you know, the objectives on the curriculum, but really give something more to our children and wh- whether it be physical health or whether it be that outdoor education or just that building that whole child, I think is great. Uh, so thank you for sharing that um out of interest is there anywhere that you know if people are interested in looking more into that what you've done as a school with curriculum is there somewhere that they could find a bit more out about that yeah absolutely there's a, a whole lot of information on our website um so yeah kensington primary school in newham uh, or if you google curriculum k uh, you'll it'll come up as the first result um so yeah there's a lot of information on there and uh, as the world begins to open up uh, we've always loved having visitors to the school. Uh, we are starting to love having visitors to the school again. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're always, if, if people want to get in touch, we're always keen to have people come and look around and share what we're doing. Fantastic. That's perfect. Well, now I don't want to take more of your time. So we'll move swiftly on now to the final of the primary three, and that is be positive and supportive. So why for you is that one of your primary three, Ben? Yeah, so I think uh, it, it links back actually to, to the Pareto's law point. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're really proud of the fact that as well as being the current primary school of the year, we're also the TES Wellbeing and Mental Health School of the Year because uh, we've really prioritised that. And part of that is the uh, work that we've done uh, around our curriculum and emotional health. Um, but it's also the work that we've done with our team. And, and like I say, it comes back to that initial point that you look at any of the research and what makes the biggest difference is the teacher is the person in front of that class and it's how that person is teaching and so fundamentally if if how they are teaching is with uh worry is, is with fear is with a lack of confidence is with exhaustion clearly that's not going to do the best for the children in that class so we've done a huge amount of work um, around well-being uh, as a school initially 
um, and, and making sure that our teachers are as well supportive and as well looked after as possible so that they can turn up and do that best job. Um, we are a hugely over-monitored, over-scrutinized industry. No other industry has the level of scrutiny um, that the teachers have on a day-to-day -day basis. These are qualified professionals who are then constantly monitored, both internally and externally. Mm. Um, and and it's, it, it's become an entire industry of itself. And, you know, all of these things linked together, we looked at why we were doing it. As I said at the beginning, seven, six and a half years ago, I was right, let's not do, uh, let's not do um, observations, formal observations anymore. But actually, we've evolved that through all the way through to the point where it's about, you know, we don't go in and judge in any way. It's about working together. Um, it's really hard when you're standing in front of 30 children to have an out-of-body experience to then watch yourself and be reflective about that. Um, so it can be really helpful. It can be helpful for you to go and watch someone else to help you to be reflective. It can help for someone else to be in there with you to maybe teach a bit of your lesson and watch them, to maybe teach with them, to maybe for them to watch you for a bit and then talk about, you know, what was going on in that lesson. Um, but that's in a culture of being positive and supportive. We are not there to catch our team out. We are not there to say, you missed a page in that book when you were marking. I mean, we're not there to do that because they don't actually mark their books, because we don't believe that's what makes the greatest difference, because actually they're focusing their time and energy on their AFL. But anyway, that's maybe for another podcast. Um, but we're not there to catch them out. We're not there to say, oh, it should be an LO, not an LI. Uh, oh, it should be three success criteria. Oh, you didn't use your lolly sticks or whatever madness it might be. You know, we're, we're there to work with them. We're there to build their confidence. We're there to give them that energy. We're there to help them to be at their very best every single day. Now, that doesn't mean there's never challenge. It doesn't mean there's any, you know, you can just do whatever you want. We have incredibly high standards. We are exceptionally driven to provide the best for our children. And, you know, we will provide that challenge when we need to, but it's always coming from a position of we want the best for you. And, and the analogy we sometimes use, you know, it's that you get home from a long day at work and it's the night you go for a run. And it's raining and it's cold and you don't want to go. And you say to your wife, I don't want to go for a run. And she says to you, get out for a run. <laughs> and you say, oh, I don't really want to get out for a run. Oh, okay. And you go out and you run and you come back and you go, oh my darling, thank you so much. I'm so glad you gave me that push because it's exactly what I needed. Mm. You know, and so the challenge when it comes is from that place. It's because we want the best, because we know that when people aren't delivering at their best, you know, that's not making them happy. They're not going home. That's not good for their well-being. So it's that two sides of that coin. It, it's there to make sure we're looking after them and it's there to 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 give them that push when they need it. Um, yeah, and I'm really proud that we've taken that out into the, the wider world. And, and I think we're really making a difference. We're part of uh, the World Schools Movement, which is a school-led movement 
Uh, we were one of the founding schools of that, uh, one of the 33 founding schools. We've now nearly got a thousand schools who are part of that, all about making well-being at the heart of the school for children and for uh, the people who work in schools as well. Um, I'm, you know, I know it splits opinion, but I'm very proud to have worked with the DFE over the last five years, uh, first on their workload reduction toolkit and most recently on the wellbeing charter, which we're going to be relaunching later this year. And again, I hope that that leads to even more change in the sector, because the fact is we have to do something about teacher wellbeing. We have to not just teacher wellbeing, the wellbeing of everyone who works in schools, because if we don't do that, that is the thing that's going to lead to our children being failed. You know, I do not believe in this narrative of a lost generation. Mm. Uh, you know, our children have gained so much from the year, last year and a half. Of course they have lost things. Of course it's been hard, mm. but they have also gained. But if we do not fix the situation in schools, if we do not make sure that our teachers are turning up on a Monday morning, full of energy, raring to go, if we aren't bringing people into this wonderful, wonderful uh, job, uh, and career, we are going to fail our children. And so something has to change. Um, and, you know, that's where that be positive and supportive really comes from. Brilliant. And I think, like you say, that, and I think that also links to your previous sort of the primary three as well, talking about how, you know, there's been things that have been done in, in, in this profession and, and in this in, in education, which, like you say, hasn't had the impact, you know, it, it should do. And there's things that just get teachers to work and work and do all these things and there's all this over scrutinizing and monitoring and actually what comes out of it is exhausted teachers who are afraid to take risks in the classroom to, you know to to be able to try out new things and to, and to try and implement this research when they just want to try and just not you know do anything wrong uh, and i think that like you say if you're positive and support and supportive with that as school leaders as other teachers i mean i i'm a, i love the idea of teachers going to other teachers classrooms and just to take 10 minutes just to see another teacher teach i mean you know in the schools i've been to that doesn't really happen very often because there's just this drive and this focus on other areas where actually if you can just get 10 minutes to go out of your classroom and reflect on what how and, and see how other teachers teach you learn so much and that discussion that can flow from that and that professional dialogue can be brilliant but like you say it's got to come from that area of being positive and supportive uh, which is brilliant uh, i guess kind of just to fit to finish that point off is there anything you would recommend to, to a classroom teacher who is probably feeling you know um, overwhelmed at this stage you know this this is, this is going out towards the end of the the first half term of what we thought would be getting back to some normality, but actually it's still a very difficult half term. This is there any advice you'd give to, to a teacher that's kind of feeling that at this stage? It's a marathon, not a sprint. Mm. That's something we often say. Uh, I think, you know, there, there is this real kind of feeling at the beginning of the year that, oh, you know, you're battling against so much, aren't you? Even in a, even in a normal and inverted commas year, if there is such a thing in education. Um, but there's this real feeling that it's all got to be now. You, you'll get there. Mm. You'll get there with it. it you, there is only so much you can do. And it comes back to that point. You know, is I, don't get me wrong. I know that everyone doesn't have the the same opportunity to set the weather in the way that I do. Mm. Um, but you know, maybe you can just start having those conversations. Mm. Is marking those thirty books and then turning up exhausted tomorrow which of those two things will make the biggest difference? Mm. 
because I'm telling you now, it's going home an hour earlier, an hour and a half earlier, spending some time with your family, doing some exercise, watching the telly, reading your book, whatever it is you want to do, and coming back refreshed the next day. That will make more difference than marking those extra books or filling in that planning format or writing the report or doing the data or whatever it might be. You know, and I just think that we've got to start saying, you know, that, that putting ourselves first, looking after ourselves is is actually the way to achieve what we want to achieve. And what we want to achieve is the best for our children. You know, the best progress, the best, you know, the best experience, the, the best, you know, I don't know, maybe the best SAT results. It's not my thing, but do I believe children should learn to read and write and do math? Absolutely. I mean, whether the SATs are a good measure, but again, another podcast. But, <laughs> but you know, whatever it is, it, Ofsted grade, you want the Ofsted grade, if that's what you care about, again, another conversation. But if you care about that, it's still the best way to get it. So, yeah, I think, you know, just taking that time, you will get there. It's one step at a time. You can only do so much and, and you know, giving, making space for yourself mm. and to look after yourself. Yeah. That's how you're going to get the best for your children. Yeah. Um, and so prioritizing that has to, you know, ha that has to come first. Definitely. And I like how you said about having that conversation as well, which I think is something we just need to do a bit more. It's just having that open chat and just saying and just checking in with each other and seeing how we are. That's fantastic. Well, our time is running short, Ben, and thank you so much for joining us. I've got two last quick questions for you. The first of which is who would you recommend for a future interview on this podcast? So I think there are lots of wonderful people out there, maybe um, some of whom I'm sure that you've spoken to, you already, spoke, already mentioned Dave. Um, I, I've got a couple of members of, of my team who are, in fact, speak to any of my team, but uh, a couple of people who I think would be particularly good, uh, Sufia Armin, uh, who, who leads on us uh, for um, English as an, as an additional language, uh, but also leads our, on our emotional health curriculum as well. And I think that would be uh, a really insightful and fascinating chat. Um, and, and Kaylee Counts, um, who's another member of my team, who was uh, absolutely instrumental and led on all the research that, that went into Curriculum K um, and would have a huge amount to share on that. She now leads on our 7K and on our physical health as, as well as other things. So, again, I'm sure she would have some incredible insights for you. That's fantastic. Thank you very much for those recommendations. And finally, Ben, what for you is the most uh, what's, what for you is the best thing about being in primary education? Um, I, I, I've probably already talked about it. I think, you know, who doesn't say the children at this point? I mean, surely everyone says the children. I, you know, I, it is just uh, standing on that front gate in the morning at half eight and saying good morning. I don't think I'll ever get bored of that, saying good morning to them as they come in every morning, um, saying good afternoon to them as they leave, um, walking around chatting to them. You know, they are it's just such uh, a wonderful part of the job and, and being able to see that difference that you're making to them and their families on a day to day basis. I, you know, I, I would, you know, I hope I will never tire of that. Um, but it's certainly um, the thing that, uh, or, or one of the things that gets me out of bed uh, on a, on a Monday morning. That is brilliant. Thank you so much, Ben Levinson, for your time. It's been a joy to have you on Primary Education Voices. Uh, and thank you very much for sharing these great ideas and for your time for being here with us. My absolute pleasure. Thank you very much, Matt.
Well, once again, a fantastic inspirational uh, chat we had with another primary education voice. Uh, ben Levinson had some great uh, nuggets of wisdom and some great ideas and, and uh, philosophies to consider for all school leaders and school staff as they uh, try and educate the upcoming generation. Uh, I loved Ben's primary three and they were so well interconnected as many of the primary threes that we have on this podcast are. His first, the primary three, about the Pareto uh, law or Pareto's law, uh, was brilliant, all about uh, the 20% of what we do leads to the 80% of the outcome and how we need to really focus in on those things that truly make the difference in the outcome that we are trying to achieve. I love how um, he was so open and honest about how really this doesn't look like any particular way or method, that it, it doesn't mean that we go into a school and we pick out things which we think uh, are going to lead to the best outcomes for our children. Perhaps there are some um kind of overall uh, and overarching broad areas that we need to make sure we have covered. Like you mentioned, the pitch that we uh, pitch the learning to the children in our class, the relationships that we developed with the children in our class, the way we assess for learning uh, throughout the lesson and after the lesson as well. Uh, and of, of course, uh, a few other things that he mentioned in our chat as well. But with those things, making sure that there is the absolute autonomy for the teachers uh, to be able to make that choice uh, and as teaching uh, staff ourselves or as class teachers, making sure that we think about what we are doing in the classroom and how we can try and refine our focus on the things that really make that difference to our children's learning and education. Uh, I thought that, you know, this idea of Pareto's law was a really good idea to think about uh, and clearly backed by a lot of great research, too, which, of course, Ben really championed the use of research in in education, but of course reminded us uh, and gave us the caution to not be over-obsessed with that and look at how we could take the research we see and then apply that to our context as well. Really, really wise words on that. His second of the primary three, talking about how we should not always do the same things we've always done because you know, we'll get the same outcome. And clearly in the education uh, world, there are some things that need to change. Looking at the children that we produce, there are some great academic achievements. We see GCSE and A-level results seemingly improve and increase most years. But what we don't see is an improvement in other areas such as physical health, emotional well-being, mental health, and all the areas that, uh, that Ben spoke about. And so thinking how we can provide for the children in our schools um, a more rounded education that, yes, provides them with the standards and quality of education that we need for their academic side, but also giving them the support and tools to be able to go through a world where there are very difficult things to work with. Um, I loved the, the discussion we had around his curriculum, K that his school has. And of course, uh, as he mentioned, you are more than welcome to go to his school's website. And if you and if you want to find out more, I'm sure he'd be very willing to, to speak to yourself, to, to you himself on Twitter at Mr. Lev. Uh, and so uh, that is definitely something I would recommend you do. And finally, talking about the need to be positive and supportive uh, to those people that we work with. This is so important, whoever you are in the education profession, uh, whether you are a school leader, a teacher, a TA, support staff, uh, whoever you are in the school. I think this idea of being positive and supportive is an important part of how we can all develop ourselves as primary practitioners, uh, making sure that when we um, are given the opportunity to look and observe others teach, that we don't do so in a, in a judgmental way or think about what we would do differently or make sure that they've got that certain thing on the wall or this certain thing over here, but rather looking at the, the children in front of you, how they're engaging with that learning, the progress they're making and supporting each other through that process and discussing ways that we develop our own teaching. 
uh, I think that that is a wonderful piece of advice as well from Ben. So uh, really interesting discussion. Uh, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. There's something and that's something I really love to develop further is kind of developing the the, the ideas and discussion uh, that um, regular listeners to this podcast. And I know there are many of you out there, um, your thoughts on what our guests share. So please do. Uh, on Twitter at Prime Edgy Voices, share what you thought about this episode or indeed any other episode. And if there's any other primary colleague that you'd love to hear more from, let us know on Twitter at Prime Edgy Voices or me personally at MRoberts90Matt. And let me know what primary teacher, TA, support staff you'd love to hear featured on a future episode. Please do subscribe to the podcast and share it with someone. And even better, if you could leave a review on your podcasting platform, that would really help us with the podcast as well. Thanks for joining me for another Primary Education Voice and see you again next time when we will meet another inspirational educator.